Welcome to the Sunny Hill Podcast. This message was recorded at our pool campus. For more information about service times and locations, please visit sunnyhill.church. Oh man, well good morning. How are we? Good? It's great to see you all today. Thank you so much for coming down. Thank you for foregoing the Cricket World Cup final to come and join us for a bit of worship together. Is that, is that okay? Has anyone got it on their device, streaming it? Come on, I know some of you are, definitely. If you are, just keep us updated, all right? Keep us updated on any wickets falling. You know, we want fear to bow and chains to fall, but we want wickets to fall as well, right? We want New Zealand wickets to fall, so hopefully God can do that for us because it'd be good if England won something, wouldn't it? That'd be good. That would be good. I mean, that, that would be something worth celebrating. So we'll see what happens. Great. My name's Phil. For those of you who don't know me, uh, I am one of the leaders here at Sunny Hill. And it's great that you're here. If you've not met me before, I'd love to say hello to you after. So do grab me after the service. Uh, and it's my joy and my privilege from time to time to be able just to open the Bible and to share some thoughts and some uh, ideas that God's put on my heart. Uh, we love the Bible here at Sunny Hill. We love the Bible because we believe there is power in the Word of God, right? Power to transform lives, uh, to change situations, to open hearts. We believe that in the Word of God there is power. And so that's why we take time every week just to honour the Word of God, to listen to the Word of God. And this is so much a part of our worship, okay? Worship is not just the singing bit. It's everything that we do here, from the moment we step in, from setting up at half seven in the morning through to preparing coffee and, and sorting out kids' work and singing songs and listening to the sermon and catching up. It's all worship. It's all worship. Our every breath should be an act of worship to God. And so we're going to worship for the next half hour or so just by listening to God's word. And for the last several weeks, we've been working through a series entitled Encounter. And we've been picking up various moments in Scripture where one of the characters has a profound and a powerful encounter with God. They come face to face with God. Uh, and one of the things we discover as we observe all of these encounters is that whenever somebody does come face to face with God, they never stay the same. They never stay the same. You know, it's really possible to read the Bible or to hear the Bible being read and to stay the same. But I want to suggest to you that it's impossible to see the face of God and to stay the same. And so our prayer and our desire through this series is that we would not just learn some more things about God, but that we would see some new things in God, that somehow by the Spirit of God, the eyes of our hearts might be opened so that we see him more clearly because when we see him we are changed and last week I began with you looking at perhaps one of the most dramatic and powerful encounters that we read about in scripture the encounter that the prophet Isaiah had in Isaiah chapter 6 you remember how he looked at this vision that the prophet had of God sitting on a throne high and lifted up and as he saw God in his glory and his holiness and his power and his 
majesty. We're told that the foundations of the temple that Isaiah was standing in begun to shake. And you remember I made a right mess at the stage. Do you remember that, right? Trying to, trying to explain that when the weighty and powerful glory of God collides with the frailty of a human heart, things have to move, right? Things have to shift. Lives have to be transformed. Priorities have to be reordered. And I want us to stay in Isaiah chapter 6 today. And I want us just to look at the next couple of verses. Uh, Last week we focused very much on who God was and what he was like and his greatness and his glory. Uh, But this week I want us to think a little bit about the way Isaiah responded to this vision. Now some years ago, probably when I was, um, I don't know, probably a teenager, I remember watching a movie. Okay, and I can't remember what the movie is. I can't remember really anything about this movie except for one scene. There was a scene in this movie where two of the characters were swimming in the ocean. Okay, anyone know what movie that might be? Jaws, could be Jaws. Could be Titanic, could be Titanic. I was a teenage boy, so it might have been Baywatch, I don't know. Uh, But there were two people swimming in the ocean. And one of the characters begun to drown. I can't remember why. I mean, it wasn't a good film. That's why I can't remember it. But I just remember this. One of the characters begun to drown, okay? And uh, because they began to drown, the other character who was on the surface of the water uh, was terrified, clearly, and, and wanted to go and rescue their friend who was trapped underneath the water. And for about three or four minutes of this film, the, the, the action all took place under the ocean, Right, And I'm sure you can imagine it. There was building tension. There was a soundtrack that was causing suspense. And, you know, for three or four minutes, there was this battle going on where the the person who was trapped under the ocean really was running out of time. You know, their lungs were emptying of air and they didn't really have long before eventually they would just drown completely and die, right? And so this character who wasn't trapped was trying his best to 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 free his friend and you know eventually after three or four minutes of tension and suspense and all the rest of it um, they eventually got free and they swam to the surface and their heads just exploded out of the, the the sea and as you can imagine both of them just took the the deepest gulp of air that you, you possibly could, right? Because you would, wouldn't you? If you'd been under the sea struggling for your life for several minutes, when you came up, you would, you would just take the deepest gulp of air that you possibly could. And I remember what one of the characters said in this film. One of the characters said, after several deep breaths, he said, he said, that's the best thing I've ever tasted. It's the best thing I've ever Tasting. I think that's a funny way to talk about oxygen as being able to taste it, right? Because we're all breathing oxygen all the time. You know, every few seconds we're breathing in another lungful of oxygen. And I don't think many of us walk around going, tastes good. You know, tastes really good. Tastes really. No, we don't, do we? Because that would be weird, right? Maybe we should. Maybe we should be more aware of how good oxygen is. 
for us, but we don't. We walk around and for most of the time we're absolutely oblivious, oblivious to the fact that oxygen actually exists and even more oblivious to the fact that oxygen is what's keeping us alive at any given moment. And so we don't walk around going, oh, tastes really good, tastes really good, except if you'd been under the ocean without it for several moments, I might imagine that when you, when you finally got to the surface, you might, like this character in this movie, you might also begin to talk about oxygen as something that tastes really, really good. Because when you're without it, you start to realize how much you need it, right? And the reason I share that anecdote with you is because we're talking about having an encounter with God. And I want to say at the outset this morning that sometimes an encounter with God can feel a bit like you're fighting for life under the weight of the ocean. Sometimes when you come face to face with God, it can feel like you're being crushed by the weight of the ocean. Sometimes when God is confronting you with something or about something, it can feel like you're being crushed. I think that's how Isaiah felt for a moment in this encounter. And I think it's how from time to time some of us might feel we, when we come face to face with the God who is holy, holy, holy. Maybe at some point in your life you felt a little bit like that. Maybe over the next 20 or so minutes you might begin to feel a little bit like that. And here's what I want to say to you. Is if you begin to feel like that, whether this morning or any other time in your life, if you begin to feel like you're being crushed by the weight of the holiness of God. Here's what I want to say to you. Just hang in there. Hang in there. Hang in there. Keep your heart open to what God is doing. Keep your ears open to what God is saying. Hang in there. Because as we're going to discover, we will get back to the surface again. We will make it back to the surface from beneath the ocean. And when we do, friends, when you do, I want to say to you that everything is going to begin to taste sweeter and better and look brighter than it ever did before. So hang in there. Hang in there. Bear with me this morning because there may be a moment this morning where it feels like we're at the bottom of the ocean being crushed by the holiness of God. Hang in there with me, okay? Because we're going to make it back to the top of the, to the surface. Isaiah was a prophet. He was called by God to speak the word of God to the nation of Judah. Now at the time that Isaiah prophesied, at the time that he ministered, the nation of Judah, the people of Judah were in a, from a moral perspective, they were in a state of decline, right? They were a people that God had chosen 
You know, they were a people that God had loved. They were a people that God had redeemed. And God's instructions to them was that they should live in such a way so as the character and nature of God should be reflected through them to the world. Right? So God saved them. God chose them. Not because they were good, but because he was good. And in response to him choosing them, God said to them, listen, I want you to live in such a way so as to make known to the rest of the world how good and how glorious and how wonderful I am. And so God gave them the law, essentially instructions for how to live. And if you read carefully through the law, what you're going to discover is that the people of Judah were supposed to be marked by the things that God is marked by. Justice, righteousness, integrity, generosity, grace, compassion, love, all of these things. That was how the people of Judah were supposed to live. So that when people from other nations looked on, they would see something of who God is. But at the time that Isaiah was ministering, the people of Judah had fallen so, so far short of what God had expected of them and demanded from them. Listen, Isaiah chapter 1. This is how the book of Isaiah begins. Listen to this. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 2. It says, Hear me, you heavens, listen, earth. The Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, i.e. Israel, right, or Judah. But they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, the donkey its own owner's manger. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. God, through the prophet Isaiah, at the outset of this book, says to the people of Judah, listen, I was like a father to you. I was like a father to you. I chose you. I redeemed you. I loved you. I protected you. I provided for you. And all you've done in return is rebel against me. God's saying, all you've done is turn your backs towards me. And you've become a people that are full of corruption and greed and guilt. You see, this book doesn't start in a particularly positive place. And if you read on for the next five chapters, which I'd love you to do when you get home today. All right, we don't have time this morning, but read the first five chapters of Isaiah and you're going to discover something more about the way the people of Judah were living at the time. And what you're going to discover is that they were not marked by the justice and equity and love and compassion of God, but rather they were marked by injustice, greed, corruption, deception and idolatry. The prophet Isaiah would say to them at times, he would say to them, listen, you you care nothing for the oppressed. You do not care about the marginalized people among you. You don't mind trampling down on the poor and the weak to get ahead. You read through the first five chapters, you'll discover that the nation at the time was marked by crime and evil and wickedness. There was murder filling the nation. You know, there was stealing marking the nation. There was corruption marking. There was drunkenness was becoming an epidemic. 
Achaelius was becoming an increasingly godless, decadent society. And not only did they tolerate sin, the, the nation at the time began to celebrate sin. Okay, it's one thing to tolerate it, but it's another thing entirely to begin to celebrate it. In Isaiah chapter 5, Isaiah would say, through God, God would say through Isaiah, excuse me, he would say, woe to you who call good evil and evil good. In other words, the people of the nation at the time were looking at something that was evil and they were calling it good. They were celebrating something that was against God. He said, woe to you who calls light darkness and darkness light, or sweet bitter and bitter sweet. They weren't just tolerating sin, they were celebrating and promoting sin. And what's really interesting is in those first five chapters, God through Isaiah says that one of the ways he would judge the people for their rebellion is he would appoint over them leaders who were childish and foolish and incompetent. You've turned your backs against God. You've hardened your heart towards him. You've closed your ears to him. Therefore, God says, I'm going to appoint over you leaders who don't have a clue. Leaders who are childish and foolish. Not leaders that are marked by integrity and humility and wisdom, but leaders that are marked by foolishness and childishness and corruption. Now, it's not my intention this morning to get at all political, but does this picture sound at all familiar, right? A nation marked by greed and corruption and injustice and decadence governed by leaders who don't have a clue what they're doing. I don't want to get political, right? I don't want to make statements. And listen, I don't feel like I could do a better job than anyone, but does this sound at all familiar to you? And so this is not a million miles away from where we are today, friends. And because of the state of the nation at the time, eight times in the first five chapters of Isaiah, God, through Isaiah, would say to the nation, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. It's a bit of an ancient sort of phrase that we don't use very often, but woe means, like a, it's like a, pronunciation of a curse right woe to you and so God through Isaiah eight times in chapters one to five is going to say woe to you for your greed woe to you for your corruption woe to you for your foolishness woe to you for the fact that you tolerate and celebrate sin woe to you eight times and it's like Isaiah is saying to the people listen the way you're living the way you're behaving all you deserve is the judgment of God you deserve the curse of God more than you deserve the blessing of God. And so that's the picture we get in chapters 1 to 5 of the book of Isaiah. And then we hit chapter 6, which is where we began last week. And it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, sitting on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple and the seraphim circled the throne and they began to call to one another holy holy 
Holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the, the weight of God's glory was so heavy that the, the foundations of the temple began to shake. And that's where we finished last week. And now we're going to pick it up. We're going to pick it up and we're going to notice Isaiah's response to the vision that he saw. If you've got your Bibles, Isaiah 6, starting at verse 3. <clears throat> they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, Isaiah cried. I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. I don't know if you've spotted the shift that's taken place in Isaiah's mind and in his heart and in his posture as a result of this encounter with the Holy God. You see, for five chapters, Isaiah has been concerned to pronounce woe on everybody else. Woe to you for the way you're living. Woe to you for the way you're behaving. Woe to them. Woe to him. Woe to her. But now Isaiah finds himself face to face with the holy God. And his language shifts. No longer is it woe to them. <laughs> now his language is woe to me. Do you see what was happening? Isaiah was coming face to face with a holy God. And as a result, Isaiah was beginning to realize that he was as much a part of the problem as anybody else was. Isaiah was coming face to face with the holy God. And he was beginning to see that rebellion, wickedness, greed, Corruption, hard-heartedness, pride and stubbornness was not just a problem that was out there and in them, but actually it was a problem that was in here and in him. And so in this encounter, Isaiah shifted from a place of standing and speaking in judgment over people to feeling like he was being crushed under the weight of the sins of his own heart. And friends, I want to say to you this morning that that is what a face-to-face -face encounter with God will do to you. It will shake you for sure, but it will humble you to the dust. It will humble you to the dust because when you're confronted with the holiness of God, you very, we very quickly begin to realize that sin and rebellion is not just out there and in them, but it's just as much in here and in me. This may sound harsh, right? It may sound negative, Pessimistic, and maybe even to some of you, it sounds offensive. But I'm only trying to do my best to be faithful to what the scripture teaches. I'm only trying to do my best to be faithful to what Jesus himself teaches. You know the famous Sermon on the Mount? 
Sermon on the Mount, the powerful sermon, the powerful body of teaching delivered from the lips of none other than the Son of God himself. And he gets really radical and direct in that sermon. Chapter 5, he says this. Hey, guys, you know it's wrong to murder, right? You know it's wrong to kill somebody else. I mean, everybody knows that it's wrong to kill somebody else. And so if, if someone murders somebody, well, then they will be subject to judgment. All right, we're all on board with that idea. None of us are offended at that idea. But Jesus goes further and he begins to say, listen, I, I want to tell you that if you've even been so much as angry with somebody else, well, then you also will be subject to judgment. Ooh. Oh, struggling to breathe. He goes on, he says, you know, it's wrong to commit adultery, right? You know, it's wrong to take somebody else's spouse for yourself. You know, that's a wrong thing to do. And we're all pretty much on board with that. And we can all agree with that. But Jesus goes further and he says, no, no, no. I'm telling you that if you've even so much as looked at somebody else with lust in your heart, then you've already committed adultery with them in your heart. You see, Jesus is trying to help us see and know that the problem that is out there and in them is also in here and in me. Jesus is trying to say, look, murder's wrong, but you know where murder begins? It begins with anger in the heart. Jesus is trying to say, look, adultery's wrong, but do you know where adultery begins? It begins with lust in the heart. You see, murder is the tree, but anger is the root. Adultery is the fire, but lust is the spark. And Jesus wants to dig out the root. And Jesus wants to snuff out the spark. And most of us, most of the time, we're just concerned with the tree and the fire. If I can prune back the tree a little bit, it'll be fine. If I can contain the fire a little bit, it'll be fine. But Jesus isn't content with that. And Jesus wants to dig out the root of murder. Jesus wants to snuff out the spark of adultery. And so I'm sure that many of us in here, in fact, most of us in here, have probably not actually murdered anybody. And most of us in here have probably not actually committed adultery with anybody. But I'm also pretty convinced that most of us, no, all of us in here, have at time to time got a heart in which anger rages. I'm pretty sure that most of us in here from time to time have a heart in which lust makes itself very, very comfortable. And so Jesus is trying to say, the problem is not just out there and in there. It's in here and it's in me. And this is what Isaiah was beginning to realize. You know, midway through his ministry of pronouncing judgment on everybody else, Isaiah is confronted with the holiness of God and he suddenly realizes that I'm the problem. It's me. I'm the problem. 
it's me. And in the light of the glory of the holiness of God, the toxic poison of his heart was beginning to be exposed. And he stopped for a moment pronouncing woe on everybody else and began to pronounce woe on himself. See, this is what an encounter with God will do. It will expose the darkness of our own hearts. It will expose the poison that exists within us. And so I ask the question again, have you seen him? Have you seen him? Have you seen him? Have you felt the crushing weight of your guilt and your brokenness before the presence of a holy God? Have you had a moment with God where it's felt like you are under the ocean and fighting for your life, unable to breathe? Have you had a moment like that with God? Maybe right now you're beginning to feel a little bit like that. Hang in there because we're going to make it to the surface, friends. Because look what happens to Isaiah next. Verse 5. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah was ruined. He was crushed under the weight of his own guilt and sin. Verse 6. Then... One of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? There Isaiah was, fighting for his life, being crushed under the weight of the ocean, being crushed under the weight of his own guilt and of his own sin. But God came to him in that place and extended grace to him, extended grace to him and said, listen, I've taken away your guilt. I've atoned for your sin. And it's like in that moment, Isaiah was able to take a deep breath and begin to say, oh, it tastes good. Tastes good. Tastes good. You see, the moment when Isaiah feared his end might come, it actually became his beginning. Right? The moment when Isaiah felt like he would be crushed under the weight of his own guilt, he was lifted by grace. Right? The moment when Isaiah felt like he might be ending in death actually ended in life. Right? The moment of Isaiah's intense confession became a moment of amazing forgiveness and mercy. And so friends, it's not a nice place to be crushed under the weight of your own sin, fighting for life, fearful for your very, that's not a nice place to be. But until you get to that place, you'll never know the sweetness of grace. Until you see the darkness of your own heart, you'll never see the light of God's glory and mercy. Until your own sin begins to taste bitter, grace will never begin to taste sweet. And so sometimes an encounter with God is going to leave you. Actually, it won't ever leave you feeling crushed, but it will take you to a place where you do feel crushed. 
But in that very moment, God is going to extend grace. In that very moment, God is going to extend mercy and love and forgiveness to you. You see, Isaiah was crushed for a moment. But from that moment on, his love was gripped by grace. Crushed for a moment, but a lifetime of grace. Broken for a moment, but a lifetime of merciful restoration. Scared for a moment, but a lifetime of walking in intimacy with God. And I want to suggest, friends, that sometimes it's good for us to be in that place where we're feeling crushed by the glory and the holiness of God. Because unless we know what it is to be crushed, we'll never know what it is to be lifted by grace. You see, Isaiah, after this encounter, was never ever the same again. He was never the same again. He was crushed. He received grace. And his response was this, verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here am I. Send me. You see what the mercy and grace of God had done to this prophet in this moment? He tasted the sweetness of grace. He'd taken a deep breath of the oxygen that fills our lungs with life. He'd taken a deep breath. And because it began to taste so sweet to him, his response to God was, here I am. Here I am. Send me. Do whatever you need to do. And use me to do it. Have your way in my life. Send me where you want to send me. Take me where you want to take me. Do in me whatever you want to do in me. I'm all yours, God. I'm all yours. Why? Because I've tasted grace. And it's gripped my life. That's what grace will do to you, friends. The holiness of God will leave you feeling crushed. But the grace of God, the grace of God will transform your life forever. The grace of God isn't something that just cleans us and forgives us and restores. No, no, it does do that, but the grace of God does more than that. It transforms us. It transforms us into the person that God always intended us to be because when you feel the weight of your sin and then you taste the sweetness of grace, the only reasonable response to that is to say with Isaiah, here I am, God. Here I am. Send me. Use me. Move me. Do whatever you need to do in me, here I am, I've tasted your grace, I've tasted your mercy, I've, I've received your forgiveness and now my heart is gripped with it. And I want to line my whole life up with what you want for me. Have you seen him? Have you seen him? Have you been humbled into the dust? And have you been lifted 
by grace. If you have, if you have, then like Isaiah, the posture of your heart will always be, here I am, God. I'm all yours. Have you seen him? What did the content of your prayers reveal about whether you've encountered God or not? What do your prayers sound like on a day-to-day basis? Are your prayers just a list of requests before God? Are your prayers just you coming before God and saying, God, I need this. God, would you do this? God, would you make this happen? God, this is a mess. Can you fix it? God, can you sort this situation out? God, I need this. Is that what your prayers sound like? Are they just a list of requests before God? Right, there's nothing wrong with asking God for stuff. We're told very clearly in the scriptures to lay our requests before God. Jesus himself taught us to pray, give us today our daily bread. But if that is all your prayers consist of, then I want to suggest to you that you've not been gripped by grace. You've not been gripped by grace because if your heart's gripped by grace, your prayers will not just be a long list of requests asking God to do stuff for you. If you've been gripped by grace, your prayers will begin to sound like this. Father, in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you've been gripped by grace, you will wake up day by day and you will get on your face before God. And like Isaiah, you will begin to say, Lord, here I am today. Here I am. Do with me what you want to do with me today. Use me how you want to use me today. Lead me where you want to lead me today. I'm all yours today, God, because my heart has been gripped by grace. It's been gripped by grace. Have you seen him? Have you seen him? Have you met him? Have you been face to face with this king? Let's pray. Why don't we stand together? Father, Lord, we confess. We confess that in the light of your holiness, none of us can stand. We confess that all of us all of us, the worst criminal to the best member or upstanding member of the community, all of us, we all need mercy in the light of your holiness. And we confess this morning 
that the problem is not just out there and in them, but the problem is in here and it's in me. And Lord, we confess with Isaiah that we are people of unclean lips living among people of unclean lips but Lord we rejoice and we celebrate that you never leave us crushed under the weight of our own guilt thank you thank you thank you that you are always there extending grace and love and mercy to us in our brokenness thank you thank you thank you Lord I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit you would cause our hearts to be gripped by grace and we would become a people who day by day are ready and willing to joyfully confess with Isaiah, here I am, God. Send me, use me, take my life and use it for your glory and your name and our joy, we pray. Amen.